We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we look at pop culture from a Jewish perspective and look at Judaism through the lens of pop culture. As always, we are your hosts. I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. And I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And today we are going to talk about the new series on HBO Max and anywhere else you get your HBO series, The White Lotus. Jesse, you want to tell us a little bit about The White Lotus? Sure. The White Lotus is a uh, dark comedy and satire show created by Mike White um, that was one of the first new shows to be filmed during this pandemic. It was filmed on location in the fall and winter of 2020 in Hawaii. The White Lotus is a luxury resort and spa on a remote Hawaiian island. Uh, and the show, the six episode first season, follows the couple of families who arrive at the same time and check in at the same time and their challenges and interactions with uh, the staff at the White Lotus. There's the Mossbacher family with uh, my girl, Tammy Taylor, Connie Britton, uh, and uh, her husband, um, Mark Mossbacher, played by Steve Zahn, and their uh, teenage children. Uh, She is a wealthy CFO of a major tech company. There are the Pattons, uh, Rachel and Shane Patton, where he, they are newlyweds on a honeymoon. He is wealthy and she doesn't come from wealth and he expects her to never work again. And you have uh, Tanya McQuad, uh, played by Jennifer Coolidge. Uh, some may know her from um, Best in Show, uh, from uh, the American Pie movies as Stifler's mom. Uh, she is uh, a single- uh, you, missed, you missed Legally Blonde. Uh, Legally Blonde, sorry. Bend and uh, Snap. Bend and Snap. She is a, a single woman who has come to the island to spread her mother's ashes uh, in the water. And uh, they each are there for different reasons. They each have different needs, different life stages. But the show really- Uh, marks and tracks their challenging interactions with the staff of the White Lotus. Uh, Mike, you mentioned to me when you saw it that you saw a lot of parallels between this and Parasite, uh, which is the Academy Award winning movie that we talked about in a previous episode when it just won the Oscar. And I think there's something to this. The show really talks a lot about class and the caste system about how money is able to get you out of anything. And even when you think you are progressive, you still have privilege when you have wealth. Sometimes you can't control that privilege, but that privilege comes with the wealth that you have. What did you think of the show, Mike? So I I loved the show. I found myself really kind of hooked from the beginning. Uh, First of all, let's just say uh, to folks that uh, we're going to, talk about this show uh, full of spoilers. We've seen all six episodes uh, and uh, we, you know, the show begins with a, with a mystery of, uh, you know, someone has been killed uh, at this uh, resort. Well, that's in the opening scene, you know, of the, of the show. So I don't think that uh, that spoils too much, but the show opens with that mystery of someone's been killed at this luxury resort, right? There's trouble in paradise. Uh, And, uh, 
and so you know part of the hook of the show is trying to figure out you know who is going to get offed uh in uh in in this show uh arguably the the conclusion uh you know when 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 that payoff finally does come it, it feel felt to me a little bit anticlimactic but nevertheless um it it you know was was really well done and intriguing uh, from start to finish but anyway we're going to talk about it with spoilers and the other thing just to mention is that uh, the the show was originally created as as a limited series right so that it was going to just be this one season now they've uh, officially renewed it for a season two uh, my guess is that season two will feature an entirely new storyline and new cast um, but we'll see what happens definitely um, a different manager spoiler alert uh, spoiler alert definitely a different manager of the white lotus um but that i think is you know uh the the primary takeaway that I have from the show. First of all, I, I liked the show a lot. I thought that the uh, the performances were were really good. The uh, the filmmaking was um, was was intense and foreboding. You know, there's this one moment where where Quinn says that there's uh, Quinn, the teenage son of uh, of the Mossbachers, you know, talks about how there's there's just so much pain uh, present in uh, on this island at this resort, and it's like overwhelming what to do with it, and and that's so jarring because you're in this kind of you know paradise setting um, of uh, of you know of Eden, which is this yeah. uh, this this resort, um, and nevertheless, what you realize during it is that it is. Uh, built upon layers of pain, right? You uh, learn uh, from one of the workers at the uh, White Lotus, his name is Kai, plays a pivotal role in the story uh, later on. Uh, he uh, Initially, we meet him as, uh, as a busboy who uh, has a, a fling with uh, the friend of the uh, of Olivia Mossbacher, Paula, uh, who comes on the trip with the Mossbacher family. Uh, and... Uh, and uh, he talks about how, you know, this land actually was his family's land uh, or his tribe's land um, that was uh, given to him by the uh, indigenous king of uh, Hawaii before it was uh, before it was colonized uh, by uh, uh, by European settlers and ultimately uh, made into uh, an American state. Um, that is, by the way, I, I, an aspect of Hawaiian history and American history um, that I, uh, growing up, learned very little about. Right? I, I you know, what, all I learned about Hawaii was um, at some point um, we offered them statehood, and they were very excited about becoming a state. And then we had fifty stars on the flag. That's about all I ever learned about the history of Hawaii. And of course, there is this, you know, um, incredibly uh, painful history of of uh, colonization and exploitation uh, and uh, and theft um, uh, uh, in and oppression in in Hawaii, much like there is in uh, mainland America that uh, that that we haven't fully uh, come to terms with and 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 um, and grappled with as a as a society. Um, and so, but you learn that that's you know that the resort um, is uh, built on stolen land, uh, land that was stolen from Kai's uh, tribe or family. Right, which is really an allegory to the fact that this uh, supposed gone Aiden of a resort and spa is not all it's cracked up to be, which we'll right. see play out. Right, exactly. You know, it's it's interesting, you know, to, to uh, relate it to the idea of Gan Aiden. You know, th there's something um, about the um, presence of Gan of the Garden of Eden in the Torah that it's 
even though it, we're, we're given some kind of geographic markers uh, of it, um, it really kind of stands sort of mythologically um, out of space and out of time in the book of Genesis. And I think one of the uh, messages is that the only true Eden um, is nowhere. Right. And that uh, and that like otherwise, you know, you are you are always kind of building on uh, on land that belongs to somebody else. Right. There's even this midrash that when the first human being was created, God took the dust of uh, the earth from the four different corners of the of the world so that no one would be able to say that, like, um, Adam was more my ancestor than yours, right? That I'm more of a blood relative uh, to Adam than, than yours, that we're, that we're um, all uh, children of, of every place. Um, now that can be, you know, and, and I think that, you know, some of the um, wealthy and privileged characters in the White Lotus, you know, would say to that, well, then that gives us therefore the right to occupy any place, to take any place, Right. And um, and so the 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 move the show, I think, explores the sort of complicated interplay between um uh you know indigeneity and uh and colonization and oppression and privilege. Um uh so uh, I thought that you know that that uh, Mike White, the show creator, does a, this really extraordinary job of showing both the beauty of this place and the bloodiness of this uh, of this place um as a symbol for um the the class and race struggles that we're still grappling with as a society so that's uh, that's sort of a you know in uh, on one foot how i felt about it what did you think jesse i loved it um i agree with you that i think well the dead body being loaded onto the plane for the return trip was meant to uh catch the viewer immediately and be the hook to make you question with each episode who dies in the show. Um, I think there was humor to it. I think there was, you know, that sort of uncomfortable makes you cringe type of humor that often comes with satire. What makes a satire satire is that there's truth to that comedy. Uh, And I think that was really spot on to this. And I say this as somebody who has gone and deeply enjoys uh, going to, you know, Caribbean resorts and all-inclusive resorts. And, you know, oftentimes you'll see other people or even myself saying, oh, this is an all-inclusive resort. I paid for this. I'm going to get my money's worth and I'm just going to, you know, have a bite of the sandwich and not finish it. There's a wasteful mentality to that when you spend so much money. Um, additionally, I think the a sense show- of entitlement. A sense of entitlement. I think the show introduces- numerous potential villains uh, we're taught to dislike several characters but they each have some redeeming qualities and so that nobody is purely evil nobody is purely good and there's um power to that when we're in this season of repentance and the season of chuva leading up to the high holy days the idea that uh we are preparing to be written in the book of death or the book of life. And it says in Masechet Rosh Hashanah that not even Moses was immediately written and sealed in the book of life and not even Haman, Haman, was immediately written or sealed in the book of death. That uh, we each have the, the power to be good or be evil. And sometimes what the show is really telling us is that our wealth influences the decisions that we make at times.
Yeah, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting you bring up the high holidays as a frame for this, Jesse, because, you know, it, it strikes me that no one really has a redemption arc in in this uh, in this show. You know, every like the, you know, at the at the end of the at the end of the story, right, the the the, you know, the the privileged winners walk away from their vacation, you know, in some ways, like better off than they were before it, right? Um, you know, Paula may be racked with the guilt of, uh, of of setting up Kai to now probably spend the rest of his life in jail. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and Quinn is a kind of interesting one, you know, who, you know, who really, his life transforms by being there and he ends up running away and going back to uh, back to the island. Uh, there may be something to unpack there, but basically everybody else, like the Mossbachers, like uh, their relationship is better because of the experience that they had there. Tanya you know, is not alone anymore. Right, she Tanya's has a significant not, right. other. Right, exactly. Um, you're um, right, right. The only one that Jane I really and felt, Rachel, you know, right? uh, so I really felt bad. And, and that was an ending that really dug deep. Spoiler yeah, alert. Yeah. She says she's going to leave him, but then ends up staying w- with him in the end. Right. Uh, and he is okay with that because he's too scared to be alone. And I think there's a part of it that she doesn't know what she would do without this life of wealth that she's now married into. Right. Well, she has an op- right. She has, she has an opportunity to, uh, to bump herself up in the, in the class system or in the caste system. I've been reading um, uh, Isabel Wilkerson's um, uh, really extraordinary book, uh, called cast which is now a couple of years old at this point where, where she talks about america's racial hierarchy you know really is not so much a system of race and isn't so much a system of class as it is cast right these sort of you know rigid um uh, social categories that it's virtually impossible to um to, to change one's status within um because they're often based on you know um arbitrary but but immutable characteristics right the fact that you know her parents don't have money that she went to you know some uh off-brand suny school for college that she's you know uh pursuing a career in and you know somewhat like ignoble profession to the upper classes um you know that that like that she has now an opportunity to cling to a life preserver that she didn't have before and of course she's uh i i was disappointed by it and you know, felt defeated by it, but on some level, like, of course she comes back to him, right? Like the, the Hollywood ending would have been for her to, you know, to, to stake off on her own, but the reality ending is like, of course she comes back. Right. There's a lot of truth to the way they live their lives. Same thing with uh, Jennifer Coolidge's character, Tanya, the Hollywood ending would be, oh, she found so much support from Belinda from this hotel employee that she wants to give her seed money to start her own business um, for women. And in the end, no, like she abandons her because that's life. Life is that in the end of the day, she's not going to support somebody and help somebody else move out of a lower caste into a, a higher caste to become uh, part of the upper class or, or even, you know, the middle class. Uh, she's only looking out for herself. And that happened time and time again. She was happy. Finally, she was in a relationship. She cared about herself. And when she was able to care about herself, her concern for others went by the wayside. 
Right. You know, and so, you know, at the end of the day, right, uh, the, you know, the, the well-off people, you know, make it off the island just as well off, if not better off than they were before they were on the island. Right. Um, the, you know, the, the, the uh, workers at the resort, um, you know, ha- are, are somewhat of a mixed bag, uh, you know, from, from dead <laughs> uh, to, um, to in jail. Uh, to you know, maybe have like a, a sizable tip. There's this Belinda, the spa manager, um, who um, who you know gets um, wrapped up in uh, with with Tanya, Jennifer Coolidge's character. Um, you know, uh, uh, she she has in some way a redemption arc in the story, right? She kind of comes to the realization um, at the end of it as she's listening to. Um, Rachel, you know, unload all of her relationship problems on her as like a, you know, a, um, you know, the a, a willing but subservient listener, right? She's like, you want you want my opinion about it? I don't care anymore. Like, I don't. I'm all out of 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 caring for you, right? So that 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 was, I think, a really empowering moment for her. But then at the the last one of the last scenes, or maybe it's the very last shot is her standing exactly where she was at the beginning of the show, you know, smiling and waving to the new boat of rich people that's coming in. And there was also something, Mike, as you pointed off to me, the very be the pointed out to me, the very beginning of the pilot episode uh, shows um, a, a pregnant character. Um, Lonnie. Yeah. Lonnie, Lonnie played by Jolene Purdy. Um, she's a trainee at the white Lotus and it's her first day as a trainee and um, Armand played by Murray Bartlett uh, thought that she was just heavy set. Um, she goes into labor at work and she actually, her water breaks and she tries to keep working because her shift isn't over yet. And it shows the idea of caste systems, even within um, the lower levels of this totem pole that um, she's worried about her job and her job security. And so she is actually trying to not go to the hospital right away, concerned about losing her job. There's a bit of humor to it, but again, with satire, there's truth to it that Armand uh, does whatever he needs to, to satisfy the customers, to satisfy uh, the guests of the resort. And so he is may take it out on his employees that are lower level than he is as the manager. Yeah, you know, it's as you're as you're uh, reflecting on that, I, you know, I found myself thinking about you know the the Torah's um, repeated uh, in belligerence um, about idolatry, and you know, a lot of uh, commentators point out that the that the reason for that is not so much it's not like a mathematical question, right? It's like you know, uh, is there one God or is there two gods? But there's a moral question involved in idolatry, right? If you um, if you turn an, an object into a god, right, or if you you know uh, like the the um, if you start to see uh, a, a sort of, you know, hierarchy of divinities, then you're inevitably going to also see that reflected in human beings. And, and, and in that, um, in that 
system, that means that you are always going to venerate, you know, those who are higher up, um, maybe loathe them secretly, but constantly try to serve them because you feel like that's your station in life and also exploit those who are under you. There's a moment where Armand at the end of the show says to uh, his employee, Dylan, who's also becomes uh, a, a, a part-time lover uh, when, uh, you know, when, when they not party. necessarily by choice, by the way. Oh, right. right. By, not by, by choice. Pres- no, by not pressure, at all. Cause because yeah, right. his boss is in a position of power. Right. Yeah. I'll give you whatever you want. New shifts, you know, a raise, whatever it is. Right. Um, uh, and he says, you know, like, this is how it works. Like they exploit me. I exploit you. And, uh, and, and, you know, and, and I think that that's one of the things that the Torah is getting at when it talks about, when it talks about um, uh, idolatry um, is, is that idea that, that in a system in which, um, uh, you know, a God of, uh, of justice and human dignity is not the universally venerated ideal, then everybody just looks for a way to get advantage and exploit one another. Yeah. You know, to me, what I think of is uh, the the prophets, right? It was the prophets who really were the first generation of leaders of the Israelite community and the Jewish people who really called out that injustice and that um, wealth gap that existed. Um, specifically, Amos, Amos, uh, in two separate sections in chapter three and chapter six, he, he speaks a lot. We, we quote him a lot, right? Dr. King quoted him about uh, justice flowing like a mighty stream. Um, but what he's actually saying is what is justice? Justice is actually ridding the world of income inequality and, and getting rid of that wealth gap, having nothing to do with um, racism. Although we know in this country and in this world, there is often a connection between uh, racial injustice and that wealth gap. But uh, what Amos is calling out is how that wealth and great wealth often leads somebody to ignore any sense of responsibility for the other person, for their neighbor, right? That um, wealth intentionally sometimes leads to oppression of another. Um, and uh, because you're concerned with what you have and losing what, what you have. And so by making sure you don't lose what you have, you are often taking away uh, what others have to continue to protect yourself and to protect your own. And with that in mind, uh, I, I think that we see that a lot with these same uh, resort residents that their complaints that they're making, we see that with um, Shane Patton. He doesn't care that there's another family who's on their honeymoon in the resort. Rachel's like, let it be, we're fine. No, he wants them to be kicked out of their room so he could be in that nicer suite uh, he's looking out for himself and not looking out for others, but that's really what we see. None of them are concerned with the employees and their own well-being. They want them to say jump and wants the employees to say how high. Yeah, you know, I think it, it, it strikes me that that something that's endemic to the you know wealth mindset um, is you know this sort of zero sum mentality, right? That that uh, anything that I don't have. That means somebody else has, right? And the you know the the way and what I want is to have more things than the next person, um, uh, and that includes you know uh, taking it away from another person if uh, they have something that that I want, right? Whether by force or not. It, 
putting aside for a minute that like, at least to me, you know, objectively, um, the room that Shane and Rachel have initially is, is nicer than the pineapple suite. Right. Um, and they get into the pineapple suite and it's, it's ugly. It's, you know, Rachel even uh, says that, right. Right. She, She says, you know, where's the ocean view. Right. And right. And the, the uh, mom played by the great Molly Shannon, uh, who, you know, intrudes on their honeymoon, you know, walks in and says like, wow, they really like, you know, went to town with this pineapple theme. There's pineapple wallpaper, pineapple pillows, pineapple decorations, right? It's tacky. It's ugly, but it doesn't matter because it's just something that they didn't have yet. Right. Where it's something that they wanted to have. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that, you know, that, 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 that is a problem that is, um, you know, endemic to the accumulation of wealth, um, uh, especially if that's in, uh, you know, a, 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 an end to itself, right, is that, uh, you know, position of like, pr- privilege and power and prestige is, um, is that it doesn't really matter who you have to take it from, uh, in order to get it as long as you have it. And I think that that is something that the prophets, uh, you know, repeatedly point out and remember that the prophets, uh, by and large are doing this, especially Amos, um, he's doing this at the height of, um, the height of, uh, the power and wealth of the Israelite kingdom and noting that, um, that all of that is built on essentially a rotten foundation. Right. And, um, uh, you know, after the January 6th um, uh, insurrection at the Capitol, uh, there were a lot of, you know, hot takes in the uh, in in the media about, you know, are we Rome right now? Right. Is this is this uh, the, you know, the Rome being overrun by the barbarians? And uh, and one author uh, uh, wrote, he was quoting from an older book on the decline of, of Rome, he said you could really sum up uh, the decline of Rome in, in three words which is um, fewer have more. And I think that that's, you know, one thing that the prophets are already pointing out uh, in, in yes. their time is that, is that we are moving toward collapse if, uh, if, if, if our society is predicated on the notion that, that you know, the, the few at the top can take and take and take, uh, and it doesn't really matter what happens to the majority of people who are at the bottom. You know, you may mention that this show doesn't come up with a happy conclusion, right? That, that there's no um, Hollywood ending. They all leave the resort and the staff of the White Lotus uh, is getting ready to welcome new guests, new residents. Um, how do we as rabbis, as uh, supposed Torah scholars, how do we wrap it all up in, in a bow? What lessons do we learn from this? Uh, like I said, part of satire is that there's truth to it. What do we do with this truth? Because I think they're right, right? There is this wealth gap. We do live in a society where the 1% uh, own more than most of the 99%, or at least the 5% own more than the 95%. Um, and um, none of the guests of this resort learn their lessons. Um, in some way, it was just like, voyeuristic in nature that we got to uh, peek through a lens into their lives and see how the other half lives uh, or the other, you know, not half, the other 1% lives. What do we do with that? It's a really good question. Uh, you know, I think that 
that it, that it does point to you know something that you know we don't like to talk about in America, but I think that Jewish tradition would have us take a, a good hard look at, uh, which is um, that uh, that that we should construct our society in a way that doesn't allow um, uh, wealth to be um, concentrated in the hands of of so few that there is more of an equitable distribution of of, of resources. Um, number one. Um, number two, I, I think that there that there you know is ultimately a mindset shift that um, that the show is maybe um, uh, uh, talking about. And maybe that's kind of embodied in the character of Quinn, right? That, that he has to walk away or when he's forced to part with his material comforts, that's the moment when he both can identify with uh, people who have less than him and see his common humanity with them and also want to be with them and be his most, his, his happiest, most authentic self. Right. Um, and I think that that may be the moral message of the, of the story is that the, the only way forward um, is for us to kind of be forced to come to terms with and to, in some ways, part with um, the, the, the comforts that we've allowed ourselves to become, you know, uh, not only accustomed to, but dependent on um, and to, um, uh, and to identify much more closely um, on a human level um, with those that we've come to uh, exploit. Uh, in in service of our own wealth. I don't know. What do you think? I think you're right, Mike. I think uh, that's, you know, threading that needle into this month of Elul, where we're supposed to do cheshbon hanefesh, an accounting of our souls. It's not just us as individuals, but it's us as society. And so the real question is, how do we look back on society and, and what this year has been? to ensure something different for the new year. I think about that, especially during COVID, right? How COVID has impacted those of the lower castes, uh, right? Those who we call um, essential workers, but it was really, they were expendable workers. It was those who are making minimum wage, right. which was not a living wage so that we could stay at home comfortably right. and uh, take our meetings via Zoom. Um, right, they were the ones who were the stock in the shelves of the supermarkets and delivering our food so that we didn't have to leave our house. Um, I, I'm grateful for them and appreciate them. That's kept me and my family safe. But we need to do a serious cheshbon hanefesh as society during this month of Elul to understand why some lives were expendable, so that ours didn't have to be. Right, that and it was those who um, had less. Those were expendable and those who had more, those were the ones who were saved. Uh, those were the more likely the lives that were spared. Uh, I, the irony, right, is that, that, that COVID doesn't care, you know, what political party you're affiliated with, doesn't care how much money that you have. And yet when there are large families who are forced to, to share small confines or an apartment together because of their means, multi-generations living in a home together, many of them having to work and can't work remotely. This is what happens. Um, and this is why it disproportionately would impact people of a specific class. Yeah. And, and, and the issue is, uh, uh, 
international as well, right? That, uh, you know, everything from the inequity of vaccine distribution around the world and the, you know, proliferation of the, of the virus and in, uh, in, in other places, particularly in the global South in ways that are ultimately going to impact us too. Right. But, but we, you know, um, treat other lives outside our borders as more expendable than our own, as less valuable than our own. Um, you know, we're seeing that play out, uh, in a, in a different, um, capacity uh outside the covid realm but seeing that play out in afghanistan right now with the with the u.s pull out and um you know and, and that i think also reflects a sense that you know that that we've that that we never really treated the lives of average afghanis as as afghans as important as valuable as we saw american lives so and it's worth noting that that on rosh hashanah um, we don't only think of it as Yom Hadin for ourselves that on this day we're held to account for our transgressions, right? But also that nations are judged in according to our liturgy um, by by you know how, how the kinds of societies we've either actively built or allowed to 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 come to be built, um, and uh, and and that's I think uh, a really important. I think the show really kind of uh, shines a. Uh, 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 an unflattering light um, at, you know, the kind of world that we, you know, uh, have built, that we are trapped in, that we live in, um, and that, um, and, and that causes, you know, so much harm uh, to, to so many. Absolutely. May we take advantage of this month of Elul then, right? Each and every weekday morning during Elul, we blow the shofar, uh, differently for different reasons than we do on Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, it fulfills an obligation of hearing the shofar. During the month of Elul, it's meant to be on our alarm clock. It's meant to wake us up from our stupor. It's meant to help us understand that uh, we need to you know, ha- have a, a, a bolt to be awakened from our sense of apathy. And uh, I think this conversation today really speaks to that apathy that we as a society has, um, right? I see lots of signs about people complaining that they can't get their employees to come back to work because of unemployment, blaming on unemployment, blaming it on welfare, uh, and not refusing to understand that it could be that they weren't paying a living wage. Uh, that may we hear with the sounds of the shofar each and every morning, an awakening to really do a gut check and a soul check of society to rethink how we want to shape the world in 5782. Amen. Amen. Till then, uh, we'll wish you uh, a uh, meaningful uh, Elul month leading up to the High Holy Days and uh, a High Holy Day season of, um, uh, of, of introspection uh, and uh, of growth in the coming year. Until next time, I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. Take care, everyone. <laughs>